Good morning and welcome to Five Alive Devotions. Today we are reading from the book of John chapter 5 and we're going to read the first 17 verses. So we've got actually quite a bit to uh, to read this morning and, uh, and then we're going to get right into uh, what happens in this testimony of Jesus in Jerusalem. And so Xavier, if you'll go ahead and, and read that for us. It's John chapter 5, verse 1 through 17. All right. And after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there at Jerusalem, by the sheep market, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew language, Hebrew tongue, Bethesda, having five porches. And these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? And the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man. I have no man. When the water is troubled, to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth forward before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. And the Jews therefore said unto him, What was that was cured? It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed, and walk. Then asked they him, What man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? He that was healed wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Afterward Jesus findeth him in the temple, and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. The man darted and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. And wherefore did not the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay did then therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto and I work. Wonderful. So we have this testimony of a thirty eight year old paralyzed man uh, in Jerusalem uh, he's been crippled a long time, and he has the superstition, uh, and maybe even, or perhaps, eyewitness testimony that if the pool that he's laying near is stirred by an angel, and he is the first one in to the pool, he will be healed. And um, there's a few things that um, I, I'd love to address here. And first of all, that is uh, the pool is spring-fed. We notice that it's on the east side of Jerusalem, and it is uh, uh, near the Sheep Gate. Uh, the man that we're talking about that was healed, we aren't given his name, much like the woman at the well. Uh, we aren't given this man's name either. Um, but we do see that he's referred to as being lame or paralyzed, and he's also referred to as being ill or sick. Um, and then the man is not the only person that is at Bethesda. There are numerous other people there. 
And so those are all things that we take into mind whenever we're talking about this healing that takes place. First and foremost, if there's more people there, then why in the world does Jesus not heal all of them? Because he was using this man at this specific time. Because he was using this specific man at this specific time. Yeah. Okay. He had a purpose for using this man instead of using the rest of them. He had a purpose for this specific man. Okay, so we have a specific man that Jesus specifically enters into a relationship or conversation with and heals him, even though there's multiple people all around him. Now, a lot of people today would love to tear this apart and say, see, that's how unjust God is. He chooses whom he wants to choose, and that proves his injustice. But it doesn't prove his injustice to the man that was healed. Mm -mm. And if you're the one that's healed, it doesn't prove injustice to you because you're healed. And so that kind of logic or that line of thinking is faulty in the fact that it does not place dependency on the love, the truth, and trusting in whom God is. So I wanted to point that out first. Secondly, I wanted to point out that he has mercy on whom he will have mercy on. This is scriptural. We know that God will have mercy on whom he chooses to have mercy on. And we can reference multiple stories. One of the most familiar for everybody um, that, that is um, of Abrahamic uh, uh, descent in some capacity, whether Jew or Christian, is the story of the exodus of the people of Egypt. They left, and why did they leave Egypt? Because they were persecuted, and therefore God put persecution or plagues on Pharaoh in order to leave, because God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy, and in that time, he had mercy upon the Israelites even though Pharaoh and the Egyptians did not get that mercy. So that's, a, that's an example. Um, another thing about the healing of this man is he's, he's older, 38 years old. Time was not gracious to people back then. They didn't live to 110, 120 years old necessarily. Most people died of maladies and things like that, diseases, fairly young. So 38, he's pretty old. It also says here in the scripture that he's been sick for a long time. And I think that's important for us to recognize because it would be too easy that if this man had been paralyzed for a week or a month or a year and Jesus walk up and heal him, people could say, oh, well, he just recovered from this temporary sickness he had. Whereas for it being such a long period of time, it's an even greater miracle Mm -hmm. um, that is being expressed here. What, What do you guys say? Yeah, because for him being older, your body deteriorates whenever you're crippled. And so that would mean a lot of his muscles and stuff like that wouldn't be functioning at all. Meaning it'd be harder for him to heal. Technically, it'd be harder for him, that man, to get up and walk than it is for a newer, lame, or crippled person. Just from the atrophy of mus- yeah, muscles? just from and- atrophy. Okay, sure. Anything else? All right. We know that the man desired to be healed because he said that whenever the water is troubled, he has no ability to get into the water because of a couple of different things. And so we can see that part of those things in verse seven of this passage of scripture are, um, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool. 
so the man doesn't have any friends that will assist him. Because of his paralysis, he's not fast enough to do it himself. Um, Others cut in front of him and don't respect him because of his age or anything like that. In fact, it might even be a, you know, problematic for him that there may be younger people there that they say, well, you're already an old man and you're about to die anyway, so let us go first, you know, and just kind of shove him out of the way. And uh, it's kind of an everyone for themselves uh, um, mood here at Bethesda when it comes to the sick and infirmed getting uh, healed. Now, I also think it's very important that this water stirring by an angel is kind of almost like a mythological thing. But notice what Jesus says about this mythology that's going on. What does he say to the man about about that? Nothing. He doesn't say anything, does he? But yet, why is it we find it so important here in the 21st century (laughs) to go about judging each other for certain things. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to get us off of the importance of Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm just saying several people that we come in contact with throughout our weeks, they have different sets of views than we do, and we judge them in accordance with their views as to whether we're going to befriend them or not. And we don't allow the Holy Spirit to really speak to us saying, I want you to develop this relationship with this person because, and then God has a greater plan than we can even think, just like God had a plan for this man's life. And so Jesus inserted himself into a relationship with this man. And we allow other things to prevent us from entering into relationships with people and sharing with them the wonderful person of Jesus, all because of one thing, maybe one offhanded comment, maybe they say, or maybe the location of which we meet the person at. Have we ever, have you noticed that sometimes that happens or have you ever had somebody do that? Like the whole first impressions are so important. Like people talk like that, right? Oh, you never get a second chance to make a first impression was the thing I remember hearing when I was younger, like in middle school or even in high school. And, uh, and this man's first impression to Jesus was he's been at Bethesda for a long time. Mm-hmm. He's crippled and he's not made it into the water. And so Jesus could even think of the man, you're just lazy bum. But that's not the way Jesus looks at him because Jesus looks past what the outward appearance is and looks directly to this man's heart. So that brings, uh, that's kind of the setup for what I wanted to bring up. And the the points are, there's three different points that I want to talk about, but I want to talk about them in light of that verse 17. And and that verse 17 is an, an important aspect to our lives today. And verse 17 says, Jesus answered them, my father is working now and I am working. Jesus, Jesus said, the Father's working and I'm working. In other words, God is always working. Okay, so that is the main theme of today's devotion. However, I want to look through at three different things that Jesus also said to this man um, after he had spoken to him and the man responded with, he couldn't get into the water. And Jesus said to him in verse eight, get up, take up your bed and walk. So get up. Many people have this approach to life. Get up. 
pick yourself up by your bootstraps is a phrase that we hear often in, in, in the United States. Um, or how about this one? God only helps those who help themselves. Not biblical, but yet it's one that people like to say, oh, well, the Bible says God only helps those who help themselves. Believe it or not, do you know what the history of God only helps those who help themselves is from? It's a Greek tradition. It was used in Aesop's fables, and Benjamin Franklin is the one that made it popular in the United States of America. It's not a biblical statement, and yet it is attributed with the Bible so often and I, I wanted to bring that part up of when Jesus said to the man, get up, there are lots of people in this world that they take that kind of as a command of, I've got to do it myself and God's not going to help me. I've got to be the one to take the initiative. Am I wrong or am I right? I wouldn't say you're wrong. I mean, we've got this idea of of people picking themselves up all over the world. We're in the midst of our starting our sixth week of curfew. We um, have people that are all the time trying to find a way to present themselves. You know, I saw an article on uh, a news feed last night that quoted a, um, a guy who's usually pretty radically liberal-minded, especially when it comes to God. He's a proclaimed atheist, and he's a comedian out of England. His name is Ricky Gervais. And Ricky Gervais said, celebrities need to stop worrying about their money because the more they're talking about the pandemic that's going on today, the more they're just revealing how shallow their lives really are because they're trying to pick themselves up by their own bootstraps. They're trying to uh, 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 you know, be the people that God only helps those that help themselves and they have a specific lifestyle to lead and, and they, need, they want to live within that frame. And he says, even in their generosity, they're showing how shallow they are. And I thought that was kind of an interesting way of pointing out the fact that as human beings, we do try and get our own selves up instead of depending on God. Now, I don't want to take this too far the wrong way, but we have... Uh, a couple of different ways that today paralyzed people can be healed, don't we? We have medicines. Like, let's say this man has palsy or polio, and he, um, he, couldn't, he, he today would have been healed just because of medications. Mm -hmm. Or how about people today who become disabled or have a car accident, meet with a car accident or some other kind of accident where they become paralyzed and yet by physical therapy and maybe even uh, um, um, uh, an, an artificial leg or artificial arm or something like that provides a way of healing for them. How often do we look at that as God working in our lives? God gave somebody the idea to come up with a medication to prevent polio, to help eradicate polio from the world. God gave somebody the idea to make artificial limbs so that that way people who've lost a leg or an arm are able to walk or able to use their hands. And so are we giving God the credit for the things that he's done? No, a lot of our things we use modern day, we take for granted and we give the credit to the person, not who 
ever gave the person the idea of what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. And so if God cares about us and giving us good things, and I think he does, he, he wants to care for us, he desires to provide for us, I mean, he is the God of provision, technological advancements are a good thing. Cures for diseases are a good thing. In fact, those who say they are not orchestrated by God are usually uh, people who are trying to pick them own selves up and believe that, don't recognize that God is moving today or he is working today. How many today do not recognize God's direct presence in their life because they are too busy getting up on their own? And how often are we guilty of that very thing? Or am I, I know I'm guilty of it on occasion where I sit there and say, oh, I've got to pick my own self up. I've got to, you know, just dust myself off here. You fall once, you pick yourself up. You know, you fall seven times, you pick yourself up seven times. And, and, and I'm always looking at ways to, quote unquote, self-help myself. But the reality is, is that my full dependence must be in God. Do you have anything to add to the getting up portion of what this man is uh, going through or what we today uh, as a people need to recognize? Well, you said we don't recognize God's always in our lives. And this week, reading through Jeremiah, Mm -hmm. one of the verses says the heart is wicked and evil. It's one of the most evil parts of your body. So don't listen to your heart, which goes against a lot of major companies. But... (laughs) There's also this thing called what people like to call a conscience. Uh-huh. And the conscience is what leads you towards the good, right? Well, technically, God told us there's this being, the Holy Spirit, that's going to be in all people that's trying to guide us towards good. And we, instead of trying to accept that the conscience is really the Holy Spirit trying to lead us towards God put a name on it and cover it up. Oh, this isn't the Holy Spirit. This is a conscience. And mm. I need to listen to my heart, mm. which is the worst part of your body to listen to. <laughs> According to Jeremiah, absolutely. To Jeremiah. Or even Jesus said, uh, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And therefore, that's why you speak such evil, vile things. Exactly. Yeah. Or Buzz Lightyear and Toy Story 4. Oh, I wonder what my inner voice has to say. And he pushes a button that's on, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we don't realize what we put we tried to mask up with a word conscience is really god trying to lead us towards him Mm. the holy spirit and trying to that still small voice in yourself that tries to get you to do the good instead of the evil yeah yeah absolutely and 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 so the the getting up on our own is relatively a lie that we kind of feed ourselves isn't it yeah I mean, it's, a, it's, it's not really a, a biblical truth because God is the one that gives us the strength to get up. Did the man just, I mean, I, we don't have any reference to the fact that Jesus reached over and helped the man up. He says to the man, get up. I mean, Jesus could have been 10 feet away. And yet, does that disprove the fact that the Holy Spirit was there helping and aiding the man in his uh, ability from a lay down position to a standing position? No. No, 
but yet we try and diminish or demoralize how important God's uh, um, uh, work is in our daily lives, and we try and give ourselves so much of the benefit of the doubt, and we remove so much of the benefit of what God is actually doing for us. Mm -hmm. Did you have anything else to add? So then we have, secondly, take up your bed. Verse 8, Jesus said to him, get up. Secondly, take up your bed. So in other words, like gather your belongings because change is coming, Mm -hmm. right? Get your bed, get up, pick up your bed and walk. And so we have, we have this idea uh, um, of what I've noticed through my very short life is that what people like to do is they like to um, do things out of order. So maybe they've heard from God that they're supposed to get up and they're supposed to take up their bed and they're supposed to walk. And instead, the first thing they do is not get up. The first thing they do is they take up their bed. And in taking up their bed in that regard, what they're doing is, is they're putting the um, ox before the cart. They, you, I mean, the, the cart before the ox. Yeah, I said that, that backwards. They're putting the cart before the ox. And how can the oxen lead the cart when he's behind the cart? And the cart isn't automated, so therefore it can't push anything or pull anything. The ox is the one that's supposed to pull it. And so we have that phrase um, throughout history of don't put the cart before the ox or don't put the cart before the horse. And I see this happen so often in people's lives where I've seen them jump ahead. Like they hear the voice of God and they know this is what he's doing. And instead of doing things in an obedient and orderly fashion in which the Lord has given them, they do it out of order or out of context and they jump ahead. Sometimes they even ask for advice from a spiritual leader, a pastor or a parent. And that parent says, How about you take care of X, Y, and Z, and then maybe you'll be able to follow what the Lord has said. And they're speaking those X, Y, and Z things out of the Holy Spirit's directive. And instead, the person doesn't listen to that. They say, no, I'm going to do it my own way. And uh, uh, another great uh, example of this that I recognize in, in my years is there was a classic movie called Field of Dreams back in the day. And in the field of dreams, there was a phrase that came out and it said, if you build it, they will come. You've heard that phrase? If, if you build it, they will come. And this seems to be what so many of us do is, is we say, well, God gave me the mandate. And if I just build it, they're going to come. Anybody, everybody. If I build it, then they will come and, and, and they go out and they make a big production and they become a YouTube star and they become Instagram famous and Facebook famous and they're going towards this project that God called them to do. But the whole time what they're doing is they're picking up their bed before they even got up. And I'm not saying this in the regards of this being a faith issue. I'm talking about this being an authority issue an issue of God speaking to people's hearts, saying, I am the man of authority. And what you do first is you get up, then you take up your bed, and then you walk. The man was obedient in what Jesus said, but how often we as people take God's order or commandment and we throw it all to pieces and we do it our own way instead of continuing to listen to him. 
Um, do you think the man at Bethesda had a dream of being healed before Jesus came to him? I don't know. Doesn't well, I mean, he was there, wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, do you think that he really believed that if he made it into that pool when the waters were stirred, that he was going to be healed? Yeah. And no matter how much faith he had, it didn't all of a sudden make him healed, did it? No. And so this thought process of if I build it, then they will come is out of order. That man was 38 years old. He'd been ill. He had been in a process of, of, of not getting any better for years and years and years and years. And he had this dream. And just because he had the dream didn't mean that all of a sudden it was going to happen. No. But that's the way so many of us operate today. Whenever disappointments or struggles come along or whenever we're rejected from something that we think is a sure thing, we automatically doubt ourselves or our ability as if we're the one that's the problem. And sometimes the issue is just it's not God's timing yet. And we've got to be completely dependent and trust in him. I mean, this, this man at the pool of Bethesda, he may have had a roller coaster of emotions for all we know. One day he may wake up going, today's my day, I'm going to be healed. And he'd be excited about it going, I know I'm going to get healed. I know I'm going to get healed. And then he'd go to sleep that night and the next morning he'd wake up and he'd be angry the next day. And then he'd go to sleep that night after being angry all day and he'd wake up the next day and he'd be depressed thinking, oh, why in the world am I even here? I'm never going to be healed. And then he'd wake up the next day and he'd all have a little bit of hope stirred back up in him again. And he'd be like, I'm going to be healed again today. He probably went through a roller coaster of emotion, no different than what we go through whenever we're given a promise by God and we're expecting it to happen. And then we're told, now be patient. It will happen one day. And we're patiently waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. That's why I say this isn't a faith issue. This is a timing thing. This is a trust thing. This is the key of having a relationship with God, listening to him and to obey him. Now, how um, quickly can we have a relationship with somebody? Like, we have the story of this man. Jesus walks up to him. He knows his heart immediately. And he starts a dialogue with him. And he instantaneously has a relationship that sometimes is off-putting for people because they say, there's no way you can have a relationship with somebody that instantaneously fast. But I ask you, have you ever had an immediately trusted somebody in your life that you saw them and within an instant you were like, that's my, almost like my best friend. Has that ever happened to you before? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what, what, elaborate on that for us a little bit. I mean, I've immediate. I, nope. I I've tried. I, I gave up for two years trusting <laughs> people. But I tried to trust in people and stuff like that because they seemed really nice and really cool and like, oh, they're gonna be there for me. And when they're not, it's just hard. And then you go through this. Well, they're not gonna be there for me. And mm. so then, can I can I trust anybody else? Like, if someone like them tries to do the same thing to me, won't they just disappoint me too? And start, so I started thinking that any, every human is a disappointment and you can't trust anybody. Okay. And so do you think that the man at the pool of Bethesda probably felt the same way? 
Probably. I'm sure he did. And so therefore, help him up. Uh, the, I have no pool. friends to help me get to the pool. And so with that in mind, Jesus coming by, another human being, is he somebody that can be trusted? And yet when Jesus says, get up, take up your bed and walk, it says in verse nine, and at once the man was healed and he did exactly what he was supposed to do, what he was asked to do by the Lord. He took up his bed, or he got up, he took up his bed, and he walked. Mm-hmm. Why? Because God is always working. He's always working. All right, and then point number three, Jesus said, walk. So get up, take up your bed, and walk. And so this kind of speaks to me of the fact that Jesus is telling them, you're not coming back to Bethesda, right? You're leaving these circumstances. Don't keep on sitting in wallowing in the past. Don't keep on going back to your sin and to your sickness. Leave it there and you move forward. But this is also not a self-help kind of motivation that Jesus is speaking because notice that when he says walk, he doesn't give the man a location that he is to arrive at. In other words, I don't think I can say this illustrates or says of what Jesus is speaking to this man that this healing is enough that this man is now perfect. In other words, the man could, uh, could not walk before if it were not for God, and his final location is not given by God, so therefore his healing is a part of what is for today, and it does not speak into what is for the man's tomorrow. And so when we have a, an amazing experience with Jesus, where we are reading the Bible, we're praying, and he speaks to our hearts and to our lives, and we feel like we could conquer the world that day, sometimes our tomorrow seems so debilitating or frustrating or not even possible because we are not arriving in ourselves. We are not arriving in our own strength. We're arriving in the strength of God. And he's not given us a final destination. That final location that we will be is with him in heaven. And that's not here on earth. So we've always got to keep walking. Mm -hmm. Keep walking. Right? Like the song in Veggie Tales. This is a healing for the moment and for this day. This is a healing of mobility to go anywhere and to be among every people. And too often we think the walk is a sign of superiority. It's a, a, a sign of an arrival of perfection or an arrival of completing the destination that God has called us to. We listen to that romantic story of the happily ever after. Oh, the prince and the Cinderella, they met and they finally got together and they lived happily ever after. We don't look at what happily ever after really is. Happily ever after is they still had to find food every day. They still had to live with each other. They still had to talk with each other. They still had to continue life. And sometimes happily ever afters are not in existence of this consistent love story of our lives like Hollywood or Bollywood has taught us so often, but instead it is a moment 
of love that is then built in faith, trust, loyalty, and peace that sustains it for all time. When, so when you say walk, I always my mind went here to Psalm one nineteen one. Blessed are those whose way is blameless who walk in the law of the Lord. Uh, walk walking to me is in a continuous step, being in alignment with Christ Jesus, walking in his ways, it becomes habitual, um, self-discipline, consistent, consistently, because you want your steps to match his steps. You know, like when you have a small child and you're out on the beach and the small child sees maybe their mommy and or their daddies or maybe a grandma or grandpa's footprints go before them in the beach of the sand, and that little one wants to match those footprints. Yeah. And sometimes an adult's footprints are so much larger and so much more spacious than a child's footstep. And a child just wants to, you know, match those footsteps with their, um, with their loved one. Mm-hmm. And when I walk, and when I walk in the ways of the Lord, I want to be in sync. I mean, you know, when you say rise up and walk, I mean, daily, I mean, it, daily it is a, a habitual, it's a discipline, it's a, I have to determine in my heart if I'm going to make that choice to walk in the ways of the Lord. Yeah. And like a little child, child's feet are small at the beginning, but they grow. Mm-hmm. Meaning, if we're trying to walk like God, and we may misstep, we may miss a step, or we may fall over, but it still leaves room for our feet to grow and become bigger and to match with the footprint of your parent or in this case, God. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, we, we've, we've talked about this before, uh, in the book of Matthew, he says, be perfect as I am perfect. Yes. And so even when we're not that on this side of heaven, we're going to achieve perfection, but he's calling us to strive to be just like him. So even in your illustration of our feet are to grow, not that we're going to become God, but we, he desires for us to be perfect as he is perfect. And that's a great illustration of exactly that, of what you're saying there, Xavier, of he wants us to be like him. And so when we're walking, we must be striving in those yeah, even the stride, like you think of how small yeah. a kid is. Like to, now today, you know, <laughs> yeah. if you were to follow behind me today, Xavier, because you're just a little bit taller than me and I'm six foot three, uh, you're going to be able to match me step for step. Yeah. Our feet are basically the same size. Our stride is basically the same. Yeah. Like you're able to match me and, and you're still a young man. You're, you've not reached adulthood. And, and it's similar to that. Not that we, again, spiritually speaking, not that we, again, would achieve complete perfection on this earth but there's nothing saying that we are not supposed to even strive for that of course we're supposed to strive to be like him just like you're saying Blair so Jesus also we find out through the rest of this testimony that Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath and that the man got caught by the Pharisees and Sadducees carrying his bed and walking which was against the rules of the Sabbath and, uh, and so we have, um, we have this ability that the man has now to negate the healing of Jesus. What I mean is, is that he now has this question in his mind, the, 
the, the little um, uh, prick of the enemy speaking to him saying, well, Jesus healed you on the Sabbath, so he must not be a good guy. He must not be God because God wouldn't heal you on the Sabbath and then have you break the law. So maybe you did it in your own power and in your own effort. Maybe you healed yourself. Now, I know I'm taking this a little extreme, but what does it say in verse 14 when Jesus runs back into the man? It says, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Send no more that nothing worse may happen to you. I mean, that's pretty, uh, pretty impressive that, um, that it speaks to me in that regard, not because I'm trying to go off on some sideline thing uh, of thinking or even go into a heresy. All I'm saying is I've been in this place where I have seen God work in my own heart and then I question later on, wow, what a good person I am because I allowed God to do this thing in me. And I had to repent of that later, just as Jesus is addressing this man now and he's confronting him saying, send no more. I too had to repent and say, I was, I started trusting in myself over trusting in God. Forgive me, Lord, for I have sinned. And in my getting up and in my taking up my bed and in my walking, I sinned against you. Forgive me and make me more like you. Help me to walk as you walk, Lord. And, and, and I just, I wanted to bring that part up because again, that's a personal testimony of my life, of the way I've gone through things. And I recognize today, April the 26th, 2020, that God is always working and it is by his help. He is the great helper. He is Emmanuel. He is God with me. And everything I do, I cannot accomplish without him. And I want to give him all the praise because whether I'm working, he is with me. If I'm sick, he's with me. If I'm stuck at home, he's with me. If I'm left alone with my own thoughts, he's with me. If I'm studying, he's with me. If I'm working, he's with me. If I'm sleeping, he's with me. If I'm eating or if I'm bathing, when I'm doing anything and everything, he is always with me. I am the willing vessel and he is the working God. John 5, 17 says, my father is working and I am working. And that's such a powerful thing for me today to encourage me that I am not alone and I'm not somebody who can do everything in my own power. And I don't need to be somebody who does everything in my own power. I have been created to be dependent on him. And so that brings me to the last point of what I wanted to talk about today and just want to throw it out there. We've read these 17 verses. Did I miss anything? Or is there anything that the Lord really spoke to you that uh, is needing to be brought up in this moment? All right, then I just want to ask this last question. And that is, what is God doing on my behalf today? What is God doing on your behalf today? And that's kind of a, 
a, a, a reflective question. What is he doing on my behalf today? You may think, gosh, I, I don't know. I, I'm, 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 I'm studying and, and I'm working and, and things are just kind of going along the same every day for the past couple of weeks and yet know that God is working in those moments. Or maybe, uh, uh, maybe you don't know what he's doing on your behalf today. And so we've got plenty of time for us to just spend some time asking him, God, what is it you're doing in my life today? What is it you're speaking to me today? What is it you're calling me to do today? What is the order of the way you're calling me to do things in today? Because I know you're a God of order. I know you're a God of authority. I know you're a God who likes to see things in their right order. And so what is that order? And am I mixing it up? Or am I following after you obediently with my whole heart? And so that's the question. What is God doing on behalf of you today? Xavier, will you pray? Oh, Lord Jesus, uh, be with each and every one of us today. And I pray that each of us strive to walk more like you, even if we stumble and fall, that you'll be there to lift us up and walk with us and that we, can, that we will continue to be, walk with you. That we will not turn away, but stay with you even though we walk through some dark times and some good times. I pray that we will stay true to who you, straight true to you. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.